When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, Birdland. I'm Mark Brown. I've been blogging about the Orioles for more than a decade on CamdenChat.com and waiting for them to win the World Series for my whole life. Thanks for listening today. Let's talk some Orioles. It is June the 30th, 2023, and as I'm sitting to record this podcast for you, I am still stinging about Adley Rutschman getting hosed out of the All-Star starting catcher spot for the American League. Any previous year before this year, Rutschman would have been the starter handily. He led by 320,000 votes over the nearest other catcher. However, this year, MLB has debuted a new gimmick that they call Phase 2 of voting that set up head-to-heads between the top two uh, players at every position other than the outfield, which had six. And as it ended up, just within the American League infield, there were four Texas Rangers within the top two. So phase two, guess what happened? It was mostly Texas Rangers fans flooding the voting after other fans had checked out because, you know, who knows anything about this weird new gimmick? And so former Orioles prospect Jonah Heim ended up winning the starter spot instead by a 52 to 48 margin, which I believe was the closest of any of the head-to-head votes. Not a whole lot of consolation. The other three Texas infielders, Marcus Simeon, Corey Seager, and Josh Young, all uh, won their spots as well by larger margins. This should, I hope, be partially rectified when reserves are announced on Sunday. But still, it is fun now that the Orioles have some good players, and it will be more fun when those good players are recognized with these kinds of honors, and not to take anything away from Haim, whose first-half performance, if you really want to drill down, could even be said to have exceeded Adley Rutschman's, I think, over the full season. I think we can take uh, Rutschman over Haim pretty handily, and sometimes you get a, uh, you know, as we saw in, like, whatever year it was where Ty Wigginton was the Orioles' all-star after having, like, six good weeks or whatever. That can happen when it's, like, Look, you got to put the one guy on the team, but that's certainly not the case here. There's four Rangers starters just because they could flood phase two. So, you know what? Maybe next year the Orioles will have more good position players than just Adley, who are able to get themselves into the top two of their positions, and they will get into phase two, and Orioles fans can pull the same move. But yeah, for now, okay, back to the Orioles. They are 48 and 31 after losing two out of three to the Cincinnati Reds. I don't really know what it is about the NL Central. Despite it being a bad division, the Orioles have now lost three straight series against teams in that division. They are on a 98 win pace for the season. And yeah, I'm still taking the under on that total. But unfortunately, it is steadily creeping down towards the point where I'm going to maybe be tempted to stop taking the under. Hopefully uh, the Orioles get back to winning series and that number does not keep creeping down. But, you know, I've had a full day now as before this recording to sit on the Orioles Wednesday loss, uh, 11 to 7 in 10 innings to the Reds. And I'm still annoyed about that. Maybe it's because I sat there at Camden Yards 
through the uh, three-hour and 54-minute game, only for it to end up with uh, Keegan Aiken just absolutely crapping the bed in extra innings, just utterly atrocious. He now has a 6.85 ERA across 24 games. So the main thing is, like, why the heck is he still here? You know, if anybody has sucked that much, I think, over a half season, it's time for somebody else. And I think that, you know, in the case of Aiken especially, you've got at Norfolk, AAA on the 40-man roster, Nick Vespi, also a lefty, He's posted a 1.71 ERA over 26 and a third innings there. He's got a sub one whip. He didn't have quite as great of a taste of Major League Baseball when he was on the roster last year, last year. but come on. He's got to be better than freaking Keegan Aiken right now. But not that Aiken was the only guy to be annoyed at, the only pitcher uh, in the Wednesday game as Kyle Gibson gave up six runs in five innings pitched. He's now got a 4.66 ERA. Or using the park and league adjusted uh, ERA plus stat, he has a 90 ERA plus, which means he is 10% worse than the average pitcher. No longer so much uh, living up to what he was signed to do after, especially if he starts stringing together any more bad starts. So, you know, that's kind of annoying too. We'll see. I I guess I have a little bit more faith that uh, Gibson can bounce back a little bit than I do about Aiken. But not to be forgotten, it also is annoying. That although we can't be too mad about the offense in aggregate scoring seven runs, it is annoying that after they scored four runs in the first inning against the poor Reds starting pitcher, Luke Weaver, who came into that game with a 6.86 ERA, that they then did not score any more runs again until the eighth inning. Like, what is that about? You know, the Reds, they had a bad pitching staff, really bad. Their rotation especially is really bad. I don't know why the offense folded up the tents from innings two through seven. It ultimately helped lead to their going down in defeat for the 31st time this season. I guess that's just the way it goes. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's dumb they lost that series. It's dumb they lost the series to the Cubs. It's dumb they lost that series to the Brewers. I hope whenever the Cardinals come up, I don't know off the top of my head that they don't lose that series as well. So, you know, the Wednesday loss really fueled some more uh, thought on my part. Uh, And it's a comment that's been sticking in my head for a few days since somebody brought this up in the comments on Camden chat, just remarking that the team, despite its record, just feels pretty fragile. And, you know, I agreed with that comment, particularly because of the pitching Uh, After Wednesday's game, the Orioles now have a team ERA of 4.28. Now, that sounds pretty darn good when we still have in fairly recent memory the Orioles having a team ERA of 5.84 in the 2021 season, but the 4.28 ERA is now 10th in the American League this year. The starting rotation ERA of 4.66 is 22nd among Major League Baseball teams. You've now got Kyle Gibson and Dean Kramer in the mid-four ERA range. The combo of Cole Irvin and Grayson Rodriguez thus far has been absolute disaster. And then you've got Tyler Wells and Kyle Bradish, who've both been solid, but Wells is maybe a possible candidate for regression, in part due to his home run problem and in part just due to the large gap between his ERA and his fielding independent pitching. And Bradish, he just has no full-season track record of success. So, I mean, you know, two bad starts for Kyle Bradish, and he's going to be right there in that Kyle Gibson, Dean Kramer territory as well. So, 
yeah, I don't have a ton of confidence that that unit is going to be enough to keep the Orioles at this pace or even anything, you know, near getting into the playoff pace. Um, the bullpen, okay, there's three good pitchers, Felix Bautista, Yanir Cano, Danny Colom. Although Yanir Cano has allowed a 300 batting average over the last 28 days. Although even having said that, on the other hand, only one of the hits that he's allowed has been for extra bases. So he's really kept the slugging percentage low. Uh, only a 325 slugging over the last 28 days, which is a big reason why it hasn't really been a complete disaster for him. Still, I think the Orioles need a fourth really reliable pitcher. Is it going to be, can Brian Baker or Mike Bauman step up? Is it going to be uh, Dylan Tate or Michael Givens get healthy? I'm not very confident in either of those guys returning to form. They could maybe trade for somebody. But also, I think the Orioles need better bullpen pitching from the kind of more the trash end of the bullpen. Aiken, definitely in the trash end. Uh, also, CNL Perez with a 1.871 whip for the season so far. Though, again, going off the splits, he's allowed only a 567 OPS over the last 28 days. So Perez, at least, you can sketch out a story that maybe he is getting better from what was ailing him early on in the season. So, you know, in sum, I feel like the rotation definitely needs to get better. Bullpen probably needs to get slightly better. And then we need to hold our breath that the offense does not get worse as these other two things improve. Like internal rotation options... Well, Grayson Rodriguez has had four out of his five good outings since uh, outings since being demoted to Norfolk have been good. Uh, that includes two games where he struck out double-digit batters. Maybe John Means, when he's healthy, can go into that. He's now at the throwing-off flat ground stage, so at least a month away, I would say. Bullpen, again, Vespi, I think, is the easiest solution. And then... You know, I don't know. Uh, position players, I don't know either. Like, you know, the only prospect at this point left to come up that we haven't already seen is Colton Kowser. Um, Maybe if somebody faltered in the infield, Joey Ortiz could get more of a shot. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know how to handle the 2023 Orioles. They are better than I thought they would be, and yet they don't feel better in a way that is durable. And so, you know, we're going to see how that goes. Um a little bit of what'll help us see how that's going to go is that six of the next nine games are going to be played against the Minnesota Twins, who are no longer leading the American League Central. They've fallen behind the Guardians, but even the Guardians are below a 500 record while leading the AL Central. So, yeah, this weekend, the uh, series is against the Twins at home in Baltimore. The Twins, they are averaging just 3.3 runs per game for the month of June. They have the worst in Major League Baseball strikeout rate for their batters, with batters striking out in 27.1% of plate appearances. By the way, Orioles batters at 21.8% strikeout rate is 10th best in Major League Baseball. So, yeah, I mean, the best regular batter for the Twins is Joey Gallo, who has a 766 OPS. So, yeah, of course your team is below 500 when that's your best batter. But they can't, you know, the Orioles can't just uh, look past the Twins. Uh, the Twins have a several um, good guys in the starting rotation, including two sub-three ERA pitchers who are lined up in this series. That is Bailey Ober, who has a 2.97 ERA across 12 games, and Sonny Gray, a 2.67 ERA in 16 games this season. And Gray has only allowed three home runs to date 
which over 16 games, that's really impressive. Those two are the best two Twins players by Baseball Reference War. Gray at 2.9, Ober at 2.0. It's going to be all right-handed starting pitchers in the series, as even the opening game is scheduled to be started by Pablo Lopez, although his ERA of 4.41 is not too impressive. One thing looking pretty good for him is that he has struck out 120 times in 96 innings pitched. So, you know, even quote-unquote the worst lined up still has a really strong point in his favor. And, you know, I really hope the Orioles offense is up to the task, and I hope the pitching staff is up to the task of keeping this sad offense down as well. I will be right back after a message from a Fans First Sports Network sponsor. Okay, and before we get back into the meat of the show, a little programming note. The next show will not be until July the 5th. That's because Sunday is my wedding anniversary, and I'm going out in the evening. I don't care to come home and immediately have to do a podcast. So I will talk to you on Wednesday. No matter what happens between now and then, there won't be a podcast on Monday the 3rd. All right, so let's dip into the mailbag. This one comes from listener Ty, who asks... Do you think there's any merit to the idea that Mike Elias believes it's easier to find high-end pitching later in the draft than it is to find high-caliber pitchers later in the draft? It seems like several late-round pitchers have stuff jumps and turn into great prospects or players, while the same is not true for hitters. So, Ty, yes, absolutely. It sure seems like Mike Elias believes in this. We don't need to look any farther than his draft record. The highest he has drafted and signed a pitcher is in the fifth round. He's done that two times. He did draft and fail to sign Nolan McLean in the third round last year. But, you know, um, he has definitely seemed to eschew choosing a pitcher when he could have, especially with his high picks. Look at 2020, the um, three of the next four pitchers after the uh, players after the Orioles selected Heston Kerstad were all college pitchers. Uh, Max Meyer, selected by the Marlins from the University of Minnesota, well, he uh, had a 7.50 ERA in two starts last year, then needed Tommy John surgery. Asa Lacey, drafted from Texas A&M by the Royals, he looks like a complete bust. He's had no command, has yet to pitch this year. Then Emerson Hancock, drafted by the Mariners, repeating double A this year with worse results than he had last year. So there was a decent uh, pitcher taken high in the first round who's already play, uh, Reed Detmers, who's already pitched in, uh, started 44 major league games. The Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, Orange County, California, et cetera, et cetera, called him up very quickly. He's got a 102 ERA plus in his career so far. Um, yeah, that wouldn't have been bad to have in the Orioles rotation this year, but I think it's looking like having Kerstad as a prospect in the system will benefit the Orioles as well. 2021 draft, kind of a similar story, although a couple of these guys I'm about to name were drafted before the Orioles chose Colton Kowser. Um, Jack Leiter took it, uh, taken number two overall. This year, he is repeating double A with um, a 5.7 walks per nine innings, and that was the can't-miss Vanderbilt ace. Uh, high school pitcher Jackson Job taken by the Tigers. He's only pitched three games this year due to lumbar inflammation. So yeah, the Orioles then took Kowser. Uh, there was a big underslot pitcher, Frank Masacato, taken by the Royals. Well, he's repeating low A, 5.3 walks per nine innings. Kumar Rocker, drafted by the Mets, didn't sign, later drafted by the Rangers, 
he needed Tommy John surgery this year. So yeah, I mean, there you're talking, you know, the top 10 spots pitchers taken in the 2020 and 2021 drafts. It sure looks like you were better off trying to take a position player than a pitcher for the most part, except for the angels finding a decent guy in Reed Detmers. And then, you know, in 2019 and 2022, um, where the Orioles had the 1-1, number one overall, there were no pitchers who were ever really even be thought among the prospect writing community consensus to even be worth that. So, okay, really we're only talking about two years where maybe the Orioles are trying to avoid pitchers with their first-round pick. I don't know. Is it going to be different this year with the number 17 pick? A couple of mock drafts have had the Orioles selecting University of Florida right-handed pitcher Hurston Waldrop, And so, you know, we'll see what they end up doing on July the 9th. So, Ty, thank you for writing in. And you yourself can email if you would like to camdencastpod at gmail.com. If you have any feedback about the show, any opinions about the Orioles you want to get off your chest or questions for a future episode. So let's move on to the prospects of the episode. Of course, I'm now doing one unheralded guy and one revisited guy. And our unheralded guy kind of picks up on what we were just talking about with Ty's question about pitcher drafting strategy. As last year's 11th round pick by the Orioles was right-handed pitcher Zach Showalter. No known relation to Buck. They took him from a Florida high school, paid him a bonus of $440,000 in the 11th round, which counted as $315,000 versus the slot uh, based on the MLB rules. So that's like late fourth round, early fifth round money. So again, there you go. The Orioles taking about a fifth round talent, and that's the highest kind of pitcher they're reading for. Um, you know, another 11th round pick by the Orioles was John Means, although they took him from college. And again, so going back to Ty's point, Means, yeah, you can develop an 11th round pitcher into a good pitcher or even a very good pitcher. John Means threw a no hitter. That was pretty fun. And I mean, recent Cy Youngs, I think, are more weighted towards uh, lower round pitchers than first round guys. Although you do have a couple recent Cy's by Justin Verlander, a former number two pick, Max Scherzer, number 11, Rick Porcello, number 27 uh, in the first round. Those guys have all won Cy's recently. But here you've also got recent winner, the whiner, Robbie Ray, 12th round, Corbin Burns, fourth round, Shane Bieber, fourth round, Jacob deGrom, ninth round. Corey Kluber, fourth round, and Dallas Keuchel, seventh round. So, yeah, I mean, at least among the recent, which this is, you know, small sample size stuff, uh, there's more guys winning from later rounds than in the first round. MVP is a bit more heavily concentrated on players from the first two rounds, I feel. I think that's largely because of, like, Mike Trout cashing in so many. But, I mean, you've also had recent winners, like Paul Goldschmidt was an eighth-round pick, Mookie Betts a fifth-round pick, and there are more international players winning MVPs than size with Shohei Otani, Jose Altuve, and Jose Abreu all winning MVP fairly recently. But back to Zach Showalter. So he's only pitched three Florida Complex League games. That was his first pro action, age 19, 0.90 ERA in those games. Team bumped him up to full season, low age, Almarva. He's only thrown one game there so far. And you know, they're clearly slowly building up Showalter, although there was no pitch count data for Florida Complex League games. He topped it four innings pitched in those three games there. We only have pitch count data for his one Delmarva game where he threw 68 pitches. So, yeah, I mean, slowly building him up, you know, good luck to Zach Showalter. Uh, if he works out, even if he does, it's going to be a long road. I think it would be 
a, a very optimistic outcome would be if he finishes out the year at Delmarva well enough that the Orioles then promote him to Aberdeen, spend a year at Aberdeen, get promoted to Bowie, spend a year at Bowie, get promoted to Norfolk. If Norfolk goes well, then maybe he's in the Orioles rotation picture. Now we're talking the 2027 rotation, I think, is an optimistic, everything goes right outcome for Zach Showalter. So, yeah, I mean, that's a long time, long time from now. So we'll see. That's that's our unheralded guy this time. Not a ton to say about someone with only four pro games to date, but good luck to Zach. Revisited is our number six prospect from the composite uh, top 30 that I posted to CamdenChat.com before the season. We've talked about him a lot this week. He's Jordan Westberg. He, uh, it was a dumb first few games for the team since he debuted, but a good first few games for him. He's got five hits and two walks in 14 plate appearances over his first three games. The Orioles had him play second base to start in the two games versus left-handed pitchers with Adam Frazier on the bench. And then in the third game against the right-handed pitcher, Westberg started at third base with Gunnar Henderson moving to shortstop and Jorge Mateo on the bench. So, yeah, I mean, he played every game over his first series. So early signs are he's not getting the Kyle Stowers or Joey Ortiz treatment. And, you know, on defense, he made a couple of nice plays, too. He did not have a very good defensive reputation among the scouting uh, industrial complex. And it was really nice to see him make that glove flip on his first game. Uh, I guess one thing we could say about him, he's only hit one double so far, no homers. So we will want to see the power that had him hit 18 homers with Norfolk eventually. Very early MLB stat cast numbers on him. He's 93rd percentile sprint speed, which I think is crazy. I don't know that that was expected. I don't know that that will last, but hopefully he will at least be, you know, faster than average. Uh, I took a look at his spray chart on StatCast as well, which shows where the hits land. And four of his five hits were pulled to the left side. That is towards the third baseman or shortstop if hit on the ground or towards the left fielder if uh, hit as line drives or fly balls. So, you know, a right-handed hitter who's a pull hitter, he's going to have a tough time hitting homers due to the Baltimore out there in left field now. Maybe that'll go better once the Orioles hit the road with Westberg. I don't really know. Uh, I certainly will be hoping for him to hit dingers and, you know, maybe he'll be able to hit some into right center into the bullpen at some point at Camden Yards as well. It's so early to make any strong judgments. I'm glad Westberg hit well for his first few games. And, you know, I hope the Orioles uh, keep playing him and giving him chances and that he goes, uh, does well enough to make them keep giving him more and more playing time. And, you know, that he's able to ensconce himself in, the Orioles of the uh, medium term. So that's all that I've got for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite platform and leave a rating or review. And you can tell an Orioles fan in your life about the show as well. Again, next episode will be out on Wednesday, July the 5th. Hopefully we have some awesome Orioles stuff to talk about in between now and then. But in between now and then, you can leave a comment for me on Camden Chat. You can find me in the comments there. My name is EatMoreSK, and on Twitter, I am at CamdenChat. You can tweet me there. Good Morning Birdland is a CamdenCast production on the Fans First Sports Network. Until next time, go O's.